Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of business, and lessons learned. Boy, can override the worries and depression. Here are your Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Happy Friday, everybody. It's, I'm your host, Josh Carter. You are listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast. Uh, it is 1 p.m. on the West Coast, which means it's that time again. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with the show, welcome. Uh, we spend the next, you know, roughly an hour talking to amazing veteran uh, entrepreneurs who are working on some cool things. And uh, and this week, I'm really excited because we have uh, Robin Brownwood from Alma Foods out of Eugene, Oregon, a, a fellow Pacific Northwesterner on the show and an Army veteran. So really excited to, to talk through uh, what the process was for her. And so without further ado, uh, Robin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, are you getting the uh, the fun weather? Last week, if you guys didn't know, uh, Portland had great weather, and now we're back to sort of the normal, typical Portland weather, but did you guys get sun down there as well? Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's our typical spring, so it's nice and wet, <laughs> which brings on green things, so I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah. If the temperatures are stiff, I'd be better, though. I hate wet and cold. I don't mind one or the other, but I hate the combination. So. I completely agree. It's, I just, like, pick one, right? You know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. Totally get sure. it. So, uh, Army veteran, that's okay. I'm, I'm not going to bag you for it, because you guys have been winning the last two years. or no, Yeah, last two years for the Army-Navy game, so I'll, I'll, I'll stay, well, stay silent over here. <laughs> we're all on the same team at the, at the end of the day, so no rivalry here on my part either. Absolutely. So I'm really curious, uh, Army. So tell me a little bit about the process for you. What what was the uh, what was the sort of thought process of going in the Army? Oh, I come from a military family. Father was a career Army, brother was Marine, other was career Navy. So um, I guess I quite naturally just followed in the footsteps. Um, having been exposed to it most of my life and growing up on military posts. Nice. And so when you got in the Army, what, what did you do? Well, I, um, I went through officer basic school down to Fort McClellan, Alabama. So I knew that that was the route that I was going to head into. Um, the MOS that I picked uh, was military police. Okay. I wanted... Um, you know, I want to do something that was way more active than sitting behind a desk. Sure. You know, or working in like supply, which, you know, those things were offered to me as a female, but, and, you know, I'm just, I'm not your typical female. So I chose MPs and um, rose up through the ranks from platoon leader to company commander. Wow. Nice. So what, what kind of, when you went into that, did it meet your expectations, or was it something that you just kind of, uh, was it different than you thought it was going to be? No, well, my father was an MP. Okay. My father started out his career in the military as an MP, and then switched to CID, which is the military version of an FBI agent. Got it. And so um, he has spent 24 years tracing around the world, um, solving cases, criminal cases with his partner, who oh, was wow. from Canada. So I got a real taste of, you know, that the, the MP side of, uh, of, of the military life. 
That sounds like a, a made-for-TV drama series. <laughs> oh, the stories that he was able to share with me when he come home on leave. Yeah, some yeah. of those definitely could be made into a, a TV <laughs> drama for sure. With his Canadian partner. <laughs> yeah, to travel in the world, solving cases. That's awesome. Yeah, so, sure. so yeah. what what was it that uh, that you were particularly other than being an MP? Like, what is what does that entail for for the audience that really doesn't understand what that entails? What a military police is. Well, back in his day, they were definitely used more for um, traffic control and you know the whole the whole white hat, white gloves. You know the. Uh, the pat, uh, what is it? The patent leather belt. Yeah. You know that whole uniform. Um, but over the years, the military um, morphed MTs into more of um, um, ground soldiers, if you will. So, uh, for instance, our mission for for my particular unit was to guard EPWs, and so um, that's what we trained for one week in a month, two weeks in the summer, and. That's what we ended up doing. And EPWs we for my get, audience that doesn't know are. Oh, I'm sorry. Enemy a, prisoners of war. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And for enemy prisoners of war. Yeah. So, so we trained for that uh, one week in a month, two weeks in the summer, and then um, consequently got a chance to put it to use when they called us up to go to Desert Storm. Yeah. Wow. So you you spent some time out in I would imagine Bahrain and Kuwait and those places up yep. there. Yeah. So, yeah, mainly mainly Saudi Arabia for sure. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, we we started out guarding an ammo supply point, and then that mission was changed about three weeks in country to actually uh, building and running a EPW uh, compound. We processed about let me see what was it fifty five fifty five to sixty thousand EPWs in about a five month period. Wow. And that was yeah. for the first wave of the Desert Storm uh, conflict for those yeah. that in '91, yeah. right? Um, okay, I trust you. I'm horrible <laughs> with dates. I am too. I, I, there's a time between '95 and '97 that are all a blur, and those are typically the the years that I was in. And uh, uh-huh. all I know is that I went to 30 countries and and uh, spent a lot of time wow. overseas, um, yep. which was great. But like. If you ask me specific things, I'm I'm a blur on on a lot of that stuff. So I totally get it. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. For so, sure. Some of it is intentional, and some of it is just my. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, yeah. you know the brain. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I 100% agree with that. So tell me, uh, how long did you stay in? Uh, 14 years actually. Wow. And then what what rank did you achieve? I uh, retired as a captain. I was on my way to become major, but um, uh, funny, once we finished our mission over there and got back to state, they decided that our mission was no longer needed, so they disbanded the unit. Oh, wow. And and so I was on the promotion list to be a major, which meant I'd have to go, you know, higher up the chain to a battalion. And, and, you know, I don't know, you you know, when you go through a, a situation like that, it changes you. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Um, I, you know, to this day, I don't regret the decision to leave, even though I had six years to actually get, you know, full benefits and whatnot. But I just had had enough yeah. and decided I want to just become a full-time civilian. So you, you get out. What's the first thing you do? Yeah. Um, 
try to get myself back together. Sure. You know, I, I, I ended up with some, some minor, I say, PTSD issues. Mm-hmm. Um, took me a, a year or two to work through all of that and um, then just started um, uh, looking for work. And, and my, my field at that point was fitness and food and beverage. Okay. So I, um, I think I started out in fitness as a trainer, personal trainer, certified personal trainer. And did that for about 10 years and um, just kind of went back and forth between the two industries. And I was, I was still living in the Midwest then, so um, at that point, uh, got a chance to come out to the Pacific Northwest and, and uh, start all over again. So I'm, you know, I, I came out here with no work and didn't know what the heck to do at that point. So I, I stayed in fitness, even though I really didn't want to stay as a trainer forever. Um, but I did it for another five years for a club and then just decided food and beverage was really where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So, so I started looking around and, uh, put in some, my resume in for a few high end places around uh, here and got three job offers in one day Wow! and decided to, you know, go with, uh, the one that I went with and spent four years there just learning the, the, how to be a line cook. Okay. I'd never done before. I, I spent my time in a lot of aspects of food and beverage, but I'd never been a line cook. And boy, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's quite a, there's a window of learning there, a, a learning curve that, yeah. But, it, you know, it works for me because it's a very um, high stress, demanding, flexible. Um, you really have to think fast on your feet and then you, you have to work as part of a team. You yeah, know, which is, you just um, described so, every veteran, right? Like, that's what makes us really right? good, right? I mean, it's, right? so you're perfectly fit for that for that role. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You know, long hours on your feet, yeah, just working as a team. You know, you're given a mission by the executive chef. You got to create a menu. You got to create a meal for an event. And, you know, uh, then you just, you know, prep for that, and then you execute it and then, then you move on. Yeah. So yeah, it, it worked well for me. So I did that for four years. But, you know, after four years, I'm like, well, I, I just needed to do something for myself. I had always been an entrepreneur anyhow. And I yeah. dipped into other businesses. Um, and my mother raised us to, to work for ourselves if we're going to work for anybody since we're all hard workers. So I took that to heart, really looked at, you know, how I could live a more authentic life for me and decided to open up my catering business. Nice. So yeah. And that's where I am now. So when you, when you, uh, when you transitioned into the civilian life, what do you think was the Mm. thing in your career, your army career that set you up for success? Obviously being a line cook, we just said, right, that you were perfectly built for that. But what do you think are some of the other attributes that you, you took with you from the military into the civilian world? Oh, just being really disciplined and having mm-hmm. attention to detail and um, the ability to um, very goal-oriented, you know. I mean, I, I hate loose ends, and so <laughs> if there's something that needs to be done, you know, I don't even rest until until the, the ends are tied up. I mean, literally. I mean, I won't go to bed until I'm satisfied that any loose end that I've left has been tied up so that I don't wake up to it the next day. Sure. Makes um, sense. you know, and so I'm very high energy, you know, uh, really I'm an insomniac, so it kind of works well for me. <laughs> yeah. I don't really need a lot of sleep and I certainly didn't get a lot of sleep when I was in the military. So, sure. 
you know, that works well for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about your catering business, but what, what, what do you think uh, set you up for, for wanting to start that? Like, what was the... Because a lot of entrepreneurs, when they push all their chips in, it's that's a very scary thing to do. It's a very scary thing to leave something mm-hmm. that is a sure paycheck ch- paycheck every time to just going mm-hmm. to something that, you know, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. What was your thought process there? Um, no, I never had those thoughts. You know what? I, I like to think that I pay attention to what's going on in the world around me. Um, I, I have a degree in psychology. And I, I find the human mind fascinating to begin with. So I've made myself a student of human behavior over the years, you know, and I see and have heard so many people who have talked themselves out of trying um, because they're afraid. And, you know, that thought never entered my mind. My biggest fear was what would happen if I didn't sure. start my own business. Yeah, I wasn't even worried about, you know, whether it would succeed or fail. My goal was to find something that was going to represent me authentically and for me that's feeding people so i you know it was a natural progression for me you know again i worked in a lot of kitchens so you know i fed people um, indirectly you know as a line cook or a server but you know when you have a catering business it's more face-to-face and up close and personal so um catering just works for me because again the the demands of the 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 business you know is very um high energy, you have to be flexible and creative, um, people-oriented, and you have to be able to create relationships, you know, if, yeah. you, if you really want to stay um, in this industry, I think. It's, you know, it's not just about getting an event, but it's about creating a relationship with that client. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. So we've been talking to Robin oh, yeah. Robin Brownwood of Alma Foods out of Eugene, Oregon, which I'm absolutely enamored with. And uh, we are going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. CPA dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startupradio. And we're back with Robin Brownwood of Alma Foods out of Eugene, Oregon. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm reading your your website. Alma means soul in Spanish. Is that what yes. is that what you were initially intentionally going for? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, I I knew, you know, again, I made myself a student of human behavior, and 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 I was definitely my own student uh, first and foremost. Um, just haven't done a lot of soul searching. And, and again, I told you I picked that particular industry because of, uh, it was the most authentically me. Yeah. Um, but so I didn't do a lot of research as far as what I was going to call it. I mean, I went through a lot of the different languages, Italian and, and Greek and, um, uh, French, you know, and German. Couldn't find quite the, uh, the word that I thought would personify what I was trying to do with my business. And so I went back to Spanish because I do have a background in that. And I found that word Alma. And, you know, when I saw what it meant, it's like, bingo, there's the name yeah. of my business. There's yeah. what I'm about. You know, uh, you see our tagline there on the website. It's um, food for the body and soul. So, you know, all of those things. I, I just took a stock of my personal philosophy in life. And that's what I infused into my business. That's awesome. So yeah, catering is a very competitive landscape mm-hmm. to be in. Would you agree with that? 
Um, it can be, but I yeah. don't see it that way. I, no. I know just about every cater in town and, you know, we, I never see them as competitors. I wish them all well. I think there's big enough tie for each of us because we all have our own niches, you know, in the market. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't put myself up against people like that. I, I think people really make a big mistake by doing that. Sure, and, yeah, and so, I, I, I'm glad you you said that. So, what do you think your specialty is? Like, what if if uh, if people were looking up Alma Foods mm-hmm. and catering? Like, what would you be the one that is known the best for? Well, we do fusion soul food, and you know, I I went that route uh, mainly again because it's authentically me. I grew up in the South, came from a line of great cooks. But I also grew up in a very diverse area. Uh, my neighborhood, um, when I was growing up, you know, we had Italians living next door. We had, you know, Africans up the street. We had Polish people in the next block. You know, my mother was um, friends with so many different cultures, and she made sure that we got exposed to all of that. that and I just fell in love with, um, you know, learning about other countries and other cultures and other foods from those cultures. And so I just decided to merge what I grew up on um, with what I fell in love with. And so we typically do, you know, a lot of Southern um, influenced foods, but we merge it with Greek or Spanish or Asian cuisine um, or Italian cuisine. So, for instance, we'll do uh, one of our most popular appetizers is like a collard green wonton with a sriracha aioli. Wow. and you might see that on, uh, I don't know if there's a picture of that on the website, but, you know, that's just my little tweak on um, fusion cuisine. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's awesome. So what uh, what other uh, dishes do you pride yourself on providing that other caterers don't really provide? Oh, man. You know, I, again, I come from a lot of great Did, did, it, did I just I, open a whole can of worms, so to speak? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're talking to a foodie here, and when you start talking to a foodie about food, we could talk all night. Yes. Um, but one of my other more popular dishes with people is uh, a sweet potato cobbler oh. that I do with a bourbon sauce. Oh, my and God. Now, that recipe is probably shim, yum, 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 yum. It was my mother's recipe. Nobody ever had done... I don't know where the heck she even got the idea for sweet potato cobbler because she raised us on sweet potato pie. And somehow she tweaked that and turned into a cobbler at some point in my life. And I never got any um, written down, you know, instructions on how to make that. But I'd watched her make it so many times that it sort of imprinted itself on my my memory bank. Um, But it is, um, I get like the, the, the most, the craziest craze from people who grew up in the South, maybe know about sweet potatoes, but had never had them, you know, in that form. So, yeah. and the bourbon sauce was my thing. My mother always served it with ice cream or whipped cream, but you know, I just like to take things to another level as often as I can. So I know that if she were still alive, she would really get off on the bourbon sauce for sure. So you're making me hungry. I, you know, so <laughs> why, why Eugene though? Because Eugene's not really, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's no. not the most diverse place, but why, why I Eugene? Know. Yeah. I right. Know. Well, I'll tell you why. It's because my husband's work brought us out here. He's an engineer. Okay. And when he got the offer to move out here, um, he jumped at the chance because 
in our spare time, uh, we're peak baggers, which means, you know, we're, we're climbing mountains. And I would have to say that that's more his passion, although I've done my share of climbing over the years. Um, but yeah, he wanted to be close to the mountains. I want to be close to the ocean. This lifestyle out here in the Pacific Northwest affords us the lifestyle that we, you know, just, we've always dreamed of. So it's just, it was a perfect blend. Yeah. And you're right. Eugene is not the foodie scene, but you know, I've been here 20 years and I have definitely seen it grow. Yeah. Um, Portland, Portland still calls to me though. You know, I try to get up there as often as possible. Yeah. To, uh, yeah, I could eat my way through that city probably for a whole year and never repeat myself. You know, you're probably right. There's a lot of really cool yeah. places up here. And, and to be oh fair, like, the, here, here, so here's, here's, we could talk, this is where we're going to talk food for a while. So, uh, yeah, I moved up here from the Bay Area. I don't know, this is my sixth year now. And for a long time, I couldn't find really good food here because here's, here's the challenge with Yelp. You ready? This is why Yelp is flawed. If you find a place in your community that's five stars, four and a half stars, whatever it is, you tend to go right. to it because you're thinking, man, they must have good food. But here's the problem. Right. You're right. relying on the community to tell you that that's yeah. good, right? Yeah. And if, the, if yeah. the community has shit taste in food, Thank you're going you. to some place that, the, that is just a horrible place. I never played stock in any of those reviews because, again, like you just said, you have to consider the source, right? Right, right. You just have to consider the source. And so, you know, you can – I just go by my gut. Yeah. You know, if, if it's something that I want to try, then I try. And hopefully it won't be too shitty a meal because one thing that I hate – is to have a crappy meal because you'll hear about it for yeah. the rest of the, the day. And I'm one know? of those guys that I like the hole-in-the-wall places. Like, there's a few places in the country Me that too. are just, like, amazing. There used to be a place oh. in New Orleans called Tally Ho that it was the greasiest, nastiest. Alon, this place looked like nothing was edible coming out of there, but it made the best right? grits. It made the best breakfast. Like, it was amazing. Right. There's another place right? in San Francisco called Toulon. It's been around since 72. And they're most famous. They're Julia Childs on the back cover of the, mag, the 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 menu. But it was one of those places. Like if you went, you probably had to take an emodium before you went there. But I would do it a hundred times out of a hundred because the food was just amazing. Uh, but yeah. like here in Portland, mm-hmm. it has been really hard to find stuff, especially barbecue. Like barbecue has been really uh, difficult to find around here. But anyway, I know. I digress. I know. I'm going to get off my soapbox now. I know. <laughs> no, no, no. You and I are definitely on the same soapbox for sure about that. <laughs> Trust me. So, so Eugene, uh, how are you? It's clear that you're b- the forefront of all this. Like, how do you become this community leader for a movement in your community as it relates to food? So let me let me let me ask you a question. I have to put yeah. that because the the whole label thing it always kills me how people want to label stuff. So how did I become a what did you call me again? A community innovator, right? Because you're bringing oh, something that's not well. I mean, it's and I'm funny. not trying to label it, right? I'm just trying to say you're bringing something to a community that's unexpected, right? Fusion soul food in some place like well, Eugene, Oregon, right? Like that. Well, I I realize you know you do have to create a, a niche if you want to stand out. But yeah. My my ultimate goal, you know, and it always has and always will be, and this is. Personally and professionally, my ultimate goal is always to present myself authentically. You know, so that's why I say, again, when I was creating this business and thinking about what I wanted to project to the general public, you know, it, it had to be authentic. It just, it can't be something that you forced mm-hmm. and it can't be fake. 
So, you know, I, again, I, I grew up on soul food, but I was surrounded by all these great diverse cultures. So in my mind, it was just an easy um, fit. It was just, it was a no brainer for me to offer that. You know, I, I guess I could have gone the barbecue route because we do sorely need, you know, some good barbecue, <laughs> but you know, I, yeah, you yeah. know, I, I don't know. I just feel more comfortable doing the foods that I grew up on and the foods that I've been exposed to. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was very easy for me. So my next question is why not a mm. restaurant? Oh, hell no. Are you kidding? <laughs> uh, let me tell you something about, yeah. because again, I have watched, uh, having been in this industry for many years, uh, I know what a pain in the ass having brick and mortar can be. I know a, a majority of the restaurant owners in town here are friends of mine. And periodically, when I get a chance, I'll make the rounds and we'll sit down and chew the fat, you know, after hours or before hours. Um, and, you know, it's, it's pretty down and dirty. I mean, they, they're straight up about the, the stuff that they go through on a daily basis just to you know, keep their operations going. Mm-hmm. I don't glamorize that. I never glamorize that. I don't need my name on the sign. I'm just not vain that way. So um, when I created this business, I wanted to be as user-friendly for me as possible. Um, so I don't have any employees. Every employee that I or every person that I use on my staff is contract labor. Um, that way, you know, I don't have to deal with all the paperwork. I can... Um, call a temp agency and say, hey, I need this many bartenders, this many servers, this many prep cooks. They've already screened them for me. They already have their food handlers licenses and all that other stuff. They send them to me. I put them to work. I send them back. They take care of all of the W-9s and all that stuff that the government requires. And I just move on. So, you know, I've been an employee most of my life. I know what a pain in the ass it can be. Um, I don't have that much patience, and so I'd rather not end up on the six o'clock news because I, you know, killed somebody with a knife or a hot pot. Yeah. So yeah, I, you know, I, I just try to go into this uh, when I created this with as much um, low maintenance as possible, if you will. Yeah. On the business side of things. That's awesome, and, and clearly it's working out for you because you guys. I, You've been in business since, uh, did I read 2012 is when you guys started? Yeah, going on, what is it, nine years now. Yeah, it's wow. been ninth year, and, um, you know, I don't keep track of that. I'm on LinkedIn, that's that business um, yeah. social site, and so they'll give me a heads up, like, what year it is. It's like, <laughs> oh, really? Okay. I really don't keep track. I just kind of, like, do my thing, and, you know, I feel very successful because I'm doing what I love, and I love what I do. So at the end of the day, it's all good. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Uh, so we've been talking to Robin Brownwood out of uh, Eugene, Oregon, Alma Foods and Catering. We're going to take our second break. We'll be right back. Today's episode of The Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. For instance, media relations. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this. Press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. 
And we're back. We're talking to Robin Brownwood of Alma Foods uh, and catering. And I'm really, I'm really curious because you seem to have a very deliberate and um, like you just, you seem to have a, a really good beat on what is going to work for your particular business and why, uh, why it fits the model that you're doing. The one thing I'm really mm-hmm. curious about is what is, and I ask this of all my my guests every every week, but what is the one thing that you have completely fucked up and you went, I'm not going to do that mm. ever again. And what have you done to mitigate the risk of that happening again? Um, you know, I knew that that question was coming <laughs> and I had to think about it and I'm still not sure that I've had any major, major screw ups like that. And you know, the, the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head would be maybe, um, not pricing my product or my services correctly at the beginning. Mm. And, you know, learning uh, quickly enough after doing some research and talking to my buddies in the industry um, about how that's done. And then just uh, adjusting my prices to make sure that it's a win-win for me and my client. You know, that um, I'm not gouging them, but I'm certainly making a profit. Yeah, and that's a common mistake. Yeah, I, I see a lot of founders oh, yeah. do that. Yeah. And then, oh yeah. What we went through uh we went through this tech accelerator program called uh Techstars out of Chicago and our managing director was this guy named Troy Hennikoff who created Sure Payroll, which is now a Paychex company. But he said in the early days they they didn't charge very much and he had a board member that uh that kept telling him every week, Hey, uh you need to charge more, you need to charge more. So every month they would just bump up their costs or the the cost of their services incrementally. And they would watch, and right. no customers right. left. No customers left, and they would right. keep going, and then we keep That's seeing customer growth. That. Yeah, it's, I it's, was just talking to one of my restaurant friends about that issue, and uh, he, he had some problems with his bottom line, and his accountant kept saying, "You know, just raise your prices on your your entrees and whatnot by just a bit." You know, he was hesitant to do so just because he thought, "Well, I'm going to lose some of my my more you know faithful customers," but mm-hmm. he finally. He finally gave in, and he did do that, and he says, oh, my gosh, not only did I maintain my customer base, but my bottom line increased, like, exponentially, yeah. you know. So I think a lot of the, the um, people that I talk to who are in small business, um, they come to me sometimes because they know that I've already done where they, you know, done what they want to do. And they'll get my advice about that sort of thing. And yeah. I, the th- one of the things I tell them is never, ever, 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 ever underprice your services mm-hmm. or your product because it is shooting yourself in the foot and, and it sends a message to your client about the quality of what you're offering. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it's a psychological thing. You know, if it's cheap, then people are not going to place much importance on mm-hmm. it. You know, so uh, unfortunately, that's not always doesn't hold true um, in, in, in theory, but, you know, that's how people are. You know, if something's expensive, they think, oh, you know, it's the greatest thing. And if something's right. cheap, then it's not. So there's that fine balance, I think, as a, a business owner, entrepreneur, in pricing your product so that you do make a profit and you, and you can keep your doors open and that your customer is uh, able and willing to pay that price without you gouging them. Yeah, one of the things I learned from him that I think every entrepreneur, no matter what kind of business they're in, should at least give this a a try is uh, learning financial modeling. And the reason why I found it so intriguing or so important was because you can input all of these things, you know, your cost of goods and your overhead and all Mm -hmm. this stuff, and you can actually start Mm -hmm. to just play with these 
these values and watch how it impacts everything else behind it because it's all formulaic it's all stuff that you kind of put a formula behind and so if you have something that says like you know it's a dollar and you change it to two you watch how it impacts everything else in your business so founders that take the time or entrepreneurs that take the time to do something like that have a better understanding and as a result at least for my business i knew to the hour when we were going to run out of cash right yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and because I didn't have uh, hardly any business sense in that direction, I actually went through a three year small business development course at the local um, community college here that they offer, which is a really good course that I, I also refer people to if they have no business sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're better off taking that three years and, and the money that they charge, which is worth its weight in gold and just going through that because they talk to you about all of that, you know, yeah. the P and L's and the balance sheets and the, and the cost analysis and, and how all of that is interconnected. Absolutely. And, uh, if anything, yeah, you know, if anything's out of balance, it's going to screw up everything else. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you so talk yeah, about the education piece. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, you know, you're talking about um, the education piece of it. How much in your industry, uh, does it help to have a mentor? Because I know some founders they'll surround themselves with other business leaders or other people to uh, to sort of glean off the experience that they bring. How important is it oh, yeah. for you to have mentors in your in your industry? Well, that's funny you say that because um, I that was one of my goals too when I started this was to find somebody that I highly respected who had uh, you know been doing uh, within food and beverage. So I just kind of looked around and honed in on uh, one particular person and um, just went and cold called them just, you know, out of the blue. And, um, and I had been keeping track of him anyhow because of the other things that he does for the community, very mm-hmm. community oriented and all about giving back. So I, I knew a, a lot about that part of him and I just went and I told him all of that and explained to him what I was doing, and he was extremely open and has been ever since, and that's been nine, well, even more than nine years ago. So I've known him probably about 15 years now, but uh, just been totally open with me about, you know, how he came to be where he is because he's highly respected in the community with his establishment um, as well as his community service. And, um, yeah, I, again, I can call him and say, Hey, I got to pick your brain. He'll drop what he's doing, even though he's running a restaurant, you know, and he's got a uh, food manufacturer. I mean, he's got all these things going on and we'll just sit in his dining room over a cup of tea and, you know, I'll just spill my guts and he'll just give me his wisdom. And, you know, he's just a very, very cool person. So I highly recommend anybody who, um, yeah, and even if you're not in food and beverage, it's just always nice to have somebody I think that you can um, chew the fat with like that, you know? Yeah. Unedited. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So what's next for you? Where where do you see this going in the next, say, five to ten years? Oh, you know what? I don't do that crap. No? Uh, you know, that's the standard old way that people look at stuff. Okay, so I'm very spiritual. I don't, you know, yes, we do have to have some sort of a plan. But at the end of the day, I just worry about the present smiling moment, yeah. the moment that I'm in. Um, I, I realize, you know, that uh, the universe has a plan for each of us and that life is going to unfold the way it sees fit for each of us. And yeah, yeah, you can have some sort of a plan, but I think that 
you're setting yourself up if you're so rigid that you're not flexible when life throws you that curveball. So where I see myself um, in five to ten years, um, first off, I'm not banking on that because God forbid you and I could hang up from each other and not hear from each other again because mm-hmm. one of us is gone, you know. So I don't project that way. My thing is just staying authentic to who I am and making choices that are in alignment with that authenticity. And so if I had to project anything, that would be my my wish, my hope, my projection would be to continue making choices that will allow me to uh, continue to live the most authentic life that I can. I love that viewpoint, by the way. I, and yeah, I didn't yeah. mean to, I didn't mean to challenge like where you would be in five years. I guess I guess what no, I no no no. I guess the, the where I was trying to go with that was. Do you, do you have a plan of like, are you guys going to get into the frozen food industry? Are you going to do, you know, your own, I saw that somewhere you guys did your own rubs. Like what, what are some of the other things that you think you yeah, would want to get into? I did that rub thing. Yeah. Where, yeah. You know, the Alma Foods. Yeah. The Alma Foods was actually an offshoot of the catering. I started that about uh, three years ago now. Yeah. And I, uh, I thought it would be, well, for one thing I'll back up because every, um, uh, events, just about every event that we ever do, we always get this amazing praise about the flavors in our food and how it's so different and how it's not flat and how I've never tasted this before. So I thought, and you know, people are so intimidated by you know, just the thought of cooking, just mm-hmm. basic cooking. And for me, you know, I, I could do it blindfolded. It's just like second nature, like brushing my teeth. Right. So, you know, when you talk to enough people about that, it, and because I love to cook so much, um, and I just can't fathom people being that afraid to get in a kitchen. I thought, well, I'm going to create a line of seasoning that will help people to get dinner on the table, you know, in record time, like less than 30 minutes and, um, see how that goes. And, and again, I always try to do my due diligence by doing as much research as possible. So, so then I had to do, you know, research in the packaging industry in the seasoning industry and see, you know, what was going on out there. And I have a really good uh, graphics and social media team, and we worked many months on this product line. And, um, you know, we ended up coming up with a really great, well, I developed the flavors, mm-hmm. but then they helped me with the packaging and the marketing and, and all that. So I did that, and I got into many stores. You know, I was in uh, all the Whole Foods up and down I-5 and uh, uh, stores at the coast. And, you know, just grocery stores and any store that I thought could use, um, could market our product to inline consumers. Um, so I did that for three years, uh, was pretty much doing my own bag and tag and, you know, marketing demos, yada, yada. And just uh, this past year, um, I had to just take stock of what was going on because of the catering was exploding. And I was trying to do the rubs on the side, you know, and... Going up and down I-5 to Portland, uh, you know, all over Lane County, parts of Oregon, uh, trying to do demos, you know, mm-hmm. because that's really the only way to get a product off the shelf is a demo. Right. You know, when you're sitting there with tons of other stuff on the shelf, people are not going to pay attention to you unless they tried you somehow, you know, yeah. or they hear about you from somebody else. Well, so, I can imagine it's a wildly different business too i mean one is oh yeah you know you have something set and it's based on orders the other is you know trying to by organically growing it uh is so much more of a heavy lift 
Yeah, and you're dealing with grocery stores who have a way different sure. different way of doing business, you know, different markups, different prices, yada, yada. But it is a different ball game, and I wasn't really familiar with it. But, yeah, so I thought, okay, I'd give it a shot because I'm fearless when it comes to crap like that. I'll try anything nice. once, at least once. And I did do it for three years, and at the end of last year, I just started taking stock of my life and trying to figure out, okay, what's going on here? Why do I feel like I'm drained spiritually and, um, you know, emotionally? So I attribute it to the rub business because it really wasn't as satisfying to me as I thought, even though I love that face-to-face contact with Mm -hmm. the inline consumer. I mean, the stories I heard in those three years from people (laughs) all over the state, just about their cooking experiences and sometimes things that aren't even related to cooking. You know, you're almost like a, a psychologist when you're doing those demos. But it wasn't really floating my boat at the end of the day. And I talked to my accountant, talked to my lawyer, talked to my social media people. And, you know, I even talked to my mentor and said, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I think I'm going to just close this baby down. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, nobody ever said no or yes. They're just like, yeah, you know, you got to do what works for you. And if it's not working, then. <laughs> and so I'm, I pretty much just cut the ties. I shut everything down as of February of this year. And um, so now I'm just focusing on the catering because that's really where my heart is. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah, hey, I should have so, you. Uh, so the world, the, yeah, yeah. What? I should have you. Uh, I should have you come talk to my wife. I have a Filipino wife, and she's the only one that I know that doesn't cook. Like I won the wife Filipino woman what? lottery. Exactly right. So <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I cook better pancit than she does. I do better lumpia oh than she does. God. I do the that yeah. I do so garlic fried rice and longanisa. Oh yeah. my god! And I'm just some white Portuguese kid from the Bay Area that doesn't. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> ridiculous right so uh that is interesting i've I've watched her like i i try to involve her and i knew i was in the wrong space when uh you know i'm doing a meatloaf just a basic meatloaf and i'm like honey why don't you just uh mix that stuff up and she's like crying because she has to touch meat and i'm like oh this is not gonna work yeah you know i I, and you sound like me then because (laughs) when i'm in the kitchen there is such a connection with food you Mm -hmm. know i mean seriously i it's hard to explain to people who just think that they they just eat to live. Because yeah. I really live to eat, you yeah. know? I mean, I do eat to live because I believe food is medicine, but I really, really live to eat. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, it's, to me, it's a spiritual connection with food. And, and, and I, I think because people tell me that they feel the love and they taste the love, um, I must infuse it in there. I. Yeah, I don't know about your wife, but uh, <laughs> yeah, my I have a husband who's got a palate of a two-year-old, so yeah. you know I consequently <laughs> find myself challenged. And now I get it because I've cooked two meals for many years. He won't eat anything green, you oh. know. He doesn't hardly eat any of the vegetables that I like, and I grow yeah. a lot of my own vegetables. And so, good for you. Yeah, most of the stuff I grow is for me. Yeah, um, not for him because most of it is green. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and he doesn't do seafood, and you know, just all these other. <sighs> I mean, so it's like, no ah, seafood. So That's a deal breaker right there. Sorry. Tell me about it. So <laughs> I entertain just so I can cook for people who like to eat. Nice. Seriously. I'm. So I'm. My friends. Yeah, I am down. Yeah. Anytime you want to cook, I I will make that oh, trip. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh honey, let's you and I do some fusion <laughs> cooking for sure. With your background, oh my God, Portuguese cook. Oh. 
Yeah. One of my rubs was a, it was a Portuguese smoked paprika. Oh. And boy, it was probably my most popular seller. I was running to people who had either visited there or who lived there or who were actually Portuguese. And uh, one guy said he met his wife uh, there and he fell in love with my rub so much that he bought her like a, a case of it as nice. a surprise. And so um, it really was probably one of the best sellers out of my, yeah. my flavor line. Um, but yeah, I, I love your your cuisine. And I like the Vietnamese cuisine too, yeah. for sure. In fact, that's on my list to go to that country in a couple of years. Nice. Yeah, I miss, uh, there's nobody up here that makes linguisa. I mean, I'm sorry, let me back that no. up. Nobody that makes good linguisa. So I grew up in San Leandro, California, where it's like the epicenter for everything Portuguese in the Bay Area. Oh. Uh, that's basically where they all landed. Oh. And so we had things like oh. Santos and Amarals and all these like really amazing uh, you know, uh, places for, for linguisa. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so that's what I grew up on was just this amazing, authentic uh, Portuguese cuisine that was brought in from mm-hmm. my, my home country, which is uh, Madeira, Portugal, where you know, if you've ever had oh. any good port wine, that's where, that's where it's from. Heck yeah, are you kidding me? Yeah. I, got, I, I, have a, yeah, I have a little small wine collection, and I definitely keep port in there for those, you know, yeah. after dinner. So that's been tough. Thanks. It's been tough finding somebody out oh, here that makes right any now. sort of linguisa up here. But I digress. I know. We, we, like you said, I we know. can spend all day talking about food because <laughs> I'm with you there, man. Uh, but well, this is this has that. been great. I love this. Um, where where can people find you online? Um, yeah, if they want to check us out, they can go to almacatering.net. Okay. And uh, we have a website there with, um, you know, pictures, testimonials, uh, background about me and the business itself. And, um, yeah, they can come on down to Eugene, too, if they're in the area. I'm we don't have a brick now. and mortar, but, you know. Yeah. yeah, we cater a lot of different events. You know, awesome. We're on the list at the University of Oregon, which is not easy to be on because they have their own catering. Um, but you know, I cater to certain departments and they, they want me because of what I offer them. Um, but yeah, nonprofits, we do a lot of private dinner parties, uh, fundraisers, you know, I mean, it's just the sky's the limit. In fact, Chef's Night Out, which is a fundraiser for our local food bank is coming up and we do that every year. We have a, a booth in that fundraiser nice. then it's held at our local cultural center, which is five floors of food Ugh. and drink all you can eat. And, um, it raises a shitload of money for the local food bank. So That's awesome. it's really, the money goes to a good cause. What's yeah. the date of that? So I'm about to do that. That's April 8th, which is a Monday. And, um, it's an annual thing. I think it's going on its 20th year. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm all about the, the whole community thing, you know, giving back and, yeah. and again, you know, we're trying to eradicate hunger here. So awesome. it's a mission that's near and dear to my heart. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. Robin, this has been such great, uh, getting to know you, getting to know your business. I wish you all the luck and I'm every, anytime I'm down in Eugene, I would love to get together and, and, uh, and try your food. Oh my God. And you know what? And, and because I love uh, Portland so much, um, I'd love to hook up with you up there and yeah. maybe you can show me some of your. We could eat our way through the town. Yeah. Oh, 
tell me about it. One suburb at a time, right? One neighborhood. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. I'm down. Thank you so much, Robin. Right We've been listening to uh, Robin Wood from Alma Foods. Go check her out. Uh, you guys have been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast. Tune in every week at 1 p.m. Pacific on the StartupRadioNetwork.com. Listen, learn, get shit done. We'll see you next week. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code StartupRuby. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.